What's going on, everybody? My name is David Gibson. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, uh, a resource dedicated to telling the stories and sharing some experiences between each and every, hopefully, every single one of the uh, athletic communications professionals out there. That, And hopefully here in the future, that just won't kind of restrict itself to uh, collegiate athletics. I've been trying to get um, some pro sports, some minor league sports, and then one team that you've probably heard of all the time, ever since you were a baby, probably, uh, on the pod. But again, you just have to line up schedules, and I'm just eagerly awaiting for that time to actually happen. So um, first things first, guys, our episodes today is with Jill Price, and I do want to give her a quick shout-out. She did just get engaged, I saw. So uh, congratulations, Jill, and I uh, wish you the best of luck in your future. And I also want to give a special shout-out to one of our listeners, Tim Hansen. I did see on uh, Twitter, Tim, that you guys, you and Caitlin just announced that you're having a little baby. So uh, congratulations there. Um, again, wish everyone the best of luck. It is a wonderful time. So, um, again, guys, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Personally, I went back to uh, Indiana, or not Indiana. I live in Indiana. Why the hell would I go back to Indiana? Where did I go? Um, I went back to Madison which is my hometown, and I hung out with uh, my family for a little bit. Um, I turned off my email notifications. I, I did all of that. I did have to be back, however, on Saturday to take care of a, a men's basketball game, um, and then I kind of spent some time kind of by myself, and now we're kind of back in the full swing of things. I think we have, a, according to my calendar, we have a week and a half left uh, of actual school, so my fall semester of my senior year is coming to a close, uh, which is kind of nuts to think about. Actually, today I just had a, a, a presentation, um, and it's super weird, and I know we've kind of like talked about this a little bit on the pod, but kind of the relationship between being a staff member being a, and your student athletes, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and my uh, my group members were, happened to be student athletes, and it was uh, difficult to try and like be your buddy, but also kind of hey get your work done it's midnight before we actually present can you do something type of thing so uh, that was that was definitely interesting and something I hope I don't have to do again according to my schedule next semester I won't have to do again so that's that's pretty nice but um anyway guys you can uh, follow us anytime on social media at sports infocast on both twitter and facebook and sign up for newsletters sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter and you can do that there and you'll get the episodes first any deals that we're having uh hopefully here coming up we'll be able to uh announce a pretty special deal hopefully um, again hopefully hopefully fingers crossed sort of thing so uh our guest today is jill price of the baylor bears she is a fort wayne native and i actually if you know me and I, we kind of touched on this a little bit i i lived in fort wayne for about a year uh, so I, I know I'm pretty familiar with Carroll High School because I, I ran cross country. And uh, at the time, Carroll, and I think they still are, actually, now that I think about it, uh, Carroll High School was pretty big in the cross country. Uh, they were one of the top teams in the state. And, uh, and then Jill said that she was a cross country runner. I was like, heck yeah. So um, there, she goes from there at IPFW, now named Fort Wayne, to Western Illinois, to Iowa, to Baylor. And a couple topics that we'll cover just um, – High-profile coaches, something that you guys may have saw Jill uh, speak about at Cosida, and then we'll also talk about social media strategy and also what to do on draft day, uh, something that we've never really covered before, so it was all pretty exciting. Uh, and that's where we'll start off today, guys, is uh, Jill Price of the Baylor Bears. 
And we start off by asking her if she's ever heard of an SID when she was a student athlete at Fort Wayne here on SIDcast. Yeah, uh, so why Fort Wayne? I mean, how I know that you went to Carroll, so uh, why did you choose Fort Wayne? Was it because it was close to home? I mean, was it academics? What was it about the Mastodons? I really um, grew up thinking I was going to go far away from home, and I wanted to be, you know, on my own independent bar and do my own thing. I got accepted to, like, a lot of different schools. Um, thought I was just going to fly the coop and, and do it. Um, the thing that ultimately kept me home was um, the opportunity to play softball at a Division One level, um, the ability to get a good education. Um, the cost was great. The classes were smaller. And the thing that really closed the deal was the softball scholarship. And I thought, you know what? If I end up hating being close to home, I can transfer out and go somewhere else. Finish up my degree at Indiana University, which was where I was planning to go before I got this late offer. So I thought, you know, what, what do I have to lose? Let's go play a game I love. And uh, Fort Wayne allowed me to do that. And I guess the rest is history. I loved it once I got there. I felt very supported academically. I felt very supported as an athlete, and I just had a great experience, made friends, and didn't want to leave. Yeah, perfect. Uh, of course, people who uh, listen to me know that I kind of lived in Fort Wayne for a little while, so I like my Fort I, well, I except the winter. I didn't like Fort Wayne winters, still. I did just, that was, that, that was <laughs> not, that was too much for me, but um, I'm just curious, and we'll, we'll kind of get back to this. How do you feel about the, the name, tra- the branding transition from IPFW to Fort Wayne? I think it's difficult um, to understand all the different facets of it because it's so involved with both Indiana University and Purdue University and how do you um, separate yourself from them but at the same time still be a part of them. I think there's a lot of of, uh, just a lot of different things that go into that that are hard to understand. Uh, but I can understand the value of having um, a big city in a state be kind of a centering brand because I know when I played softball for IPFW, everybody was saying, what is that? What does that mean? What is that? Um, like, what is that? And uh, we were always trying to explain to people what it was, and he kind of made a joke or two about, oh, we're Ipwa, we're from whatever. You know, we, <laughs> we started making up our own things, but um, just things like that are more intricate than, than um, a lot of people understand, and I think it's difficult because it is its own place. It has a lot of great culture and stuff, but it's so tied into Indiana and Purdue that it's hard to like, fully separate from, from those two entities. Uh, cool. So let's get back to some of uh, your kind of experience at IPFW. So how exactly did you get involved with the athletic communications staff at for the Mastodons? 
Yeah, so I basically hurt myself. I tore both of my ACLs my first two weeks before my senior season and the next one about seven months later. So I uh, always had a journalism background. I wanted to be a sports writer. I love sports. Grew up with two brothers that played sports. Just kind of like always been a passion of mine. And I thought I'd go on to be a sports writer or be on TV talking about sports. It was just always in my head. I will work in sports. Um, And when I was in my studies and I was going through journalism, I started to realize that it was very one-dimensional and with just the change of all the different mediums and and newspaper declining and all that kind of stuff, I kind of reevaluated and actually changed my major from journalism to communications in order to be a little bit more well-rounded. So all that stuff was kind of happening in the background, and Uh I got hurt, and I would bug my SID on the road, Bill Sawyer, and he's a wonderful guy, um, just somebody who was like, sure, I'll take your help. I mean, we need it, and uh, I still minored in journalism, so when it came time for me to do my internship, I asked if he could use some help, and he took, took me up on that offer. I did my internship with them. It would have been my fifth year, senior year, and um, then in the spring, I I really liked it a ton, and I thought, shoot, man, this could be a career for me, because no other, no day's the same as an SID. You're always facing new challenges. It's always growing, you know, with social media now added to the mix. Like, there's always something new and exciting to do. Um, No day's ever the same. I really enjoyed all of those things, so I knew, I was like, okay, how can I get into this now? Um, so Bill was someone who kind of really took me under his wing, gave me an opportunity to explore it, allowed me to ask a lot of questions, and really just encouraged me along with the athletic director at IPFW at the time, Tommy Bell. Uh, those two were very involved in helping me like get into the career, um, and that ultimately sent me to Western Illinois where I got to work under Pat Osterman as a graduate assistant for two years. So it was kind of an evolution of figuring out, wow, I love this. How can I transition into this field and gain enough experience to, like, get hired? And uh, those three individuals were huge in shaping me, who I am now, and, and allowing me to have, you know, the job that I have today. Uh, and you kind of mentioned that you went to Western Illinois. Exactly what was the, the process like for you? I mean, like you said, you kind of worked a little bit. Uh, I read on your bio that you're a primary contact for cross-country. Fantastic sport, by the way. Yeah. Um, so how did you get to Western, and uh, what was the job process like? What was your life like at that time? Yeah, shout-out to cross-country. I ran in, in high school. I loved it. It was a great sport. So um, I'm sharing that love with you. I have great respect for runners in general. Um, but basically, graduate assistantship was like, I like to call it a, it was a trial by fire situation. Like, you found out if you loved it or you just liked it. And I think for me, I realized how much I loved it. Um, I worked a lot of hours. I went to grad school. And you're basically treated like a full-timer there. Um under Pat's guidance, we were given a lot of great projects that help all of us grow into great professionals. Um, his SID tree is insane. You know, we've got 
a couple guys at Wake Forest. Um, we've got um, somebody that's at Clemson recently, and he was at App- Appalachian State before. We have somebody at Wayne State in Division Two doing some great things. And it's just amazing every year to see how much growth you can get at a school like that that really relies on young people and graduate assistants to to kind of set themselves apart. Um, they include you like a full-timer. They, they invest in you, and they really give you all the tools that you need to like move into a full-time role and take on the challenges that you're going to face. Um, it, there's no, oh, you're just going to run you know, this one sport and that's it. You know, you're working football games. I got to travel with women's basketball and work with a really great staff there. And, and now it's like my first taste of like traveling with a team <laughs> at, a, at a higher level. Um, you know, basketball is like one of those premier sports that we had at IPFW. So they got a little bit better travel and they stayed in better hotels and you just kind of get a taste of like what they're able to do and what it's like to be an SID on the road and just things that you couldn't have got, I couldn't have had, experiences I couldn't have had elsewhere. So I was always, I'll always be thankful to Western Illinois and Pat Ostman, who's now moved on out of athletics, um, but just their, their constant mentorship and involvement in us and and their ability to like turn over some crazy projects to some kids that are in grad school. So it was it was a really positive experience, and it taught me that I wanted to be in this business. Uh, a couple of questions based off of the, of the things that you just said there. So I want to know: was there any sort of shock, or was it kind of difficult in, in any way, shape, or form, going from one sport at IPFW to multiple at for the Leathernecks? Absolutely, I think. Um, the biggest thing I learned is it's very similar to being an athlete um, in college. You're juggling so many things. Um, you have to be at you, you, your study table hours. You have to be at practice. You have to be at weights. You have to be constantly focused on multiple things at the same time. So I think um, for me, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm shocked, first of all. I have this period of, oh, my gosh, am I over my head? Um, And then from there, you kind of start thinking, okay, this is the situation I'm in. I'm not going to fail. I'm going to figure out what I need to figure out in order to have success. And and you kind of, like, get attached to the coaches. You get attached to the student-athletes, and you don't want to let them down. So a lot of what I I, um, took from that shock scenario was, okay, get it together, Jill. You can do it. This is like real life, and if you don't do this well, you know, like you're going to hurt this student-athlete and those coaches' experience, and I think like anybody in our shoes, that's kind of like our worst nightmare. (laughs) Uh, So um, just being able to take some of those principles and really apply them to real life, I think being an athlete just made that a little bit easier and allowed me to like really grow quickly and realize, hey, like, I can apply all this stuff I was doing before to this by being prepared, being organized, understanding that I have to manage my time in a way that allows me to get to all of these projects. And and then also, like, asking for help. I think, um, like, I was one of three GAs at the time, and every year there's three GAs in that office. So 
you know, being able to lean on each other, talk to each other, say, like, how are you doing this? How are you doing that? And then, obviously, talking to the full-timers as well. It was just, like, a very collaborative and encouraging environment that I think we all kind of teamed together. And it was like, okay, we're all facing the same adversity. How can we, like, yeah. come together and make this a positive thing? And, and we were able to do that really well. Uh, you kind of mentioned there a couple times some big projects that they kind of entrusted you, even at the GA level, to have these kind of massive projects. So what were those sorts of things that uh, they gave to you? I think, like, looking back, like, one of the, the things I'm most proud about, it seems like such a small thing that's so normal for a lot of schools. Um, but I was the swimming and diving contact at Western my first year and second year, and they never had a record book. So I went through every single swimming record, all the meets ever, ever to happen, and I helped their coach, Greg Nauman, have a record book for the first time. And I think he was just shocked in a way. He was like, wait, you got this done. We have a record book. Um, so just like little things like that that seem like not like a huge deal, but to me, I was like, okay, I'm going to get this done. Like. Every every team should have a record book and know when major moments are happening and understand like the the great things our athletes are doing and, and that was like one project that to me was huge at the time and um, like other things are like doing the media guide uh, game notes like that was my first time doing basketball game notes at Western Illinois and understanding the importance of. You know, what are these for? Who's really looking at them? Is, you know, how can I talk to our TV and our media and let them know all these things going on? So we kind of got to do all of those things, which now are regular things that I do and maybe aren't, like, the biggest projects. But you could see how it'd be as a GA, you're like, oh, well, RSID would do that. Like, I would never be involved in that conversation. What, like, Western, we were, and we got to do it. And it allowed us to take ownership and pride in all the things that we did. Uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier as well uh, about the tree that you guys had at uh, Western Illinois to where everybody was just about everywhere, it seems. So uh, I want to know how you got the job at Iowa and what was it like for you, that whole process? Can you spare no detail about getting into the Big Ten? I honestly grew up in Indiana, and I knew the Big Ten, and the idea, like, seeing Iowa pop up, I thought, oh, my gosh, like, how cool would it be to work in the Big Ten? Um, I was very, I guess I was excited more than anything to just get a call back. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was hoping that I had enough qualifications to, to get into a Power 5 situation, but I knew that that doesn't always happen, um, and it has to be the right fit. So um, coincidentally, at Western Illinois, the baseball coach um, that was hired, Ryan Brownlee, the year prior to me graduating, he came from Iowa, where he was a longtime assistant coach, and he... I think called everyone in in the entire department that <laughs> could have any pull in getting me an interview, um, and just said, "You really need to look at this girl. She's got a good head on her shoulders. She works so hard. 
like coaches here want her to cover her cover their sport and if you're looking for somebody she's your girl um so i am always grateful to him because he helped me with that he also set me up with my boyfriend of like five years so he has like a double whammy on me he's very he's um he knows me well and he understands like my life and knew that I would be a good fit at Iowa um so I went and I interviewed on the phone and they brought me in for an on-campus and really I fell in love with Iowa right away being there and I left and I was like oh please god let me have this job it would be wonderful um got the job was able to go there. It's six hours away from home. My parents love the Hawkeyes and got to come to a lot of games. Shared a lot of joy with the fact that I played in the in the big, like I got to like cover teams in the Big Ten and they could come to a lot of the games and they already kept up with the teams. And I think we were all just like really proud. And for me, it was a, a culmination, culmination of a lot of um, hard work and a lot of um, affirmation that I was doing what I should be doing. You know, this was the right career for me. And also that people have my back because I had done well enough for that. So I was, I was just really proud of it. And, and that's kind of how it happened. Uh, same question, kind of same phrasing for you. Um, except I'm going to add on why leave Iowa to go to Baylor, uh, yeah. life process. Yeah. You, you know, the deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Baylor just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I didn't really look for, I wasn't really looking for another job. I was fortunate at Iowa to have a great experience. And I started out with volleyball and softball. And I worked with men's gymnastics and women's rowing as well. Um, And then I was elevated from there to work with women's basketball, which is a wonderful program run by one of the best coaches that I've ever met in head coach Lisa Bluter and just got to be embraced by them and went through a season with them, um, got to work with our football team running our stats. And so I got some really amazing opportunities there. Uh, I think the the biggest thing with Baylor was it kind of came out of nowhere. And I was at a point where I felt like I could take a step forward in my career and Baylor would be a good place to do that with a you know national powerhouse basketball program and another wonderful coach in Kim Mulkey who is a hall of famer so I wanted to kind of explore it after I went to Cosida Um, I had met a couple of people in the Baylor athletic communications office through Cosida years prior and um, that year, I was actually in Dallas, and I said, what are you guys going to do without Julie Bennett? Um, she is, like, the longtime SID. She was here and did a wonderful job with the program uh, for over 20 years. Um, so she she was retiring, and I said, y'all are going to fall apart without Julie Bennett. Good luck. And they're like, actually, what do you think about, you know, considering it? Would you consider it? And I said, you're kidding. Like, I'm not ready for that. Really? Come on. So I kind of had some self-doubt in it, but um, I was encouraged throughout that conference to consider it, and I thought, you know, I'm young. I've only mid- lived in the Midwest. I've, I have no kids or a husband, so hey, like, 
let's maybe move to Texas and consider this. So um, went through the entire interview process, felt like it would be a very good step forward for me, and it would allow me to be really focused on two sports teams instead of five at Iowa. So it was it was like a, a, a work-life balance choice. It was a step forward title-wise and money-wise and all of those things, and prayed about it, talked to the boyfriend about it, and I said, well, what do you think about Texas? And we made the decision to move down here, and it's been a little over a year now. Perfect. So um, just real quick, biggest difference between Fort Wayne and Waco? <laughs> My family's not here. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Um, I think um, the biggest difference... Other than the weather. Winter must be I nice. Think the weather, too. The weather's yeah. great. We'll say, you know, after doing, like, a late night of work, walking outside and not having your breath freeze in the wintertime is pretty, pretty great. Um, I think the biggest difference between Waco and Indiana, I don't think there's a ton of a difference. There's okay. not a ton different. I will say that because I feel like growing up in the Midwest, people are very kind mm-hmm. and welcoming and you know, genuinely nice, and I felt like Baylor had that as well. I mean, it's just southern hospitality, and people are very nice. They're welcoming, um, just, like, kind. I think the, the things that I notice that are different are, you know, sayings or um, maybe how they communicate every once in a while, but, like, honestly, it's just, I, I think what drew me and made me feel like, okay, Waco is, is going to be okay for me is the fact that it's full of kind people who are willing to help you. And and um, I think that's very similar to the Midwest vibe. Um, but, yeah, the, weather's a, the weather is different, and uh, the people are a little different, but not, not at their core, I think. Okay, all right, awesome. So let's get back to some, some of what you do there at uh, Baylor. Um, I kind of mentioned, I kind of asked this question earlier about some sort of shock, but you kind of mentioned that Baylor does have a powerhouse basketball program uh, with the women's basketball team. And if, I mean, I'm sure anybody on any given week could probably watch a pretty good game with the Bears. So uh, was there a shock? I mean, you went from working women's basketball at Iowa, but anything different when you went to Waco? I think um, the biggest thing I really noticed last year was just how much support and how much love there is for women's basketball at Baylor. And it's almost like like they have a, a tip-off club, and it's their supporting, you know, their, their boosters, basically. And every month, more than 500 people pay to go to see, you know, Coach Mulkey and her staff and hear the updates on the team. And just, I think I was, I knew going into it that it was a huge deal because of how relevant they are nationally and how relevant they are, you know, in the postseason. And just, you know, Coach Mulkey as a person, her ability to to lead and all those things I kind of felt going into it. But I think actually seeing the community support, actually seeing um, the athletes on the floor wow me every single day. Like, 
every game I go to, I think, wow, how did that happen? And it's not once a game, it's multiple times a game. So I think just every once in a while, I just like sit back and try to soak it in because it's amazing what they've been able to build here, what Coach Mulkey's been able to do with this program, and just really how hard like they work to maintain it, how hard the community works to support it, how hard the athletics department works to support it. Um, I was really just wowed and just like shocked by the amount of love and support and just excitement there is around it. And I also was surprised because there's only like 17,000 students at Baylor. It's, it's a, big feel school with a small intimate group around it and they're they're very caring they're involved and you know they know my name like supporters know my name they come up and hug me and I think just things like that are very different and something I've never seen before in my career and it's it's actually just like beautiful to be honest okay awesome um you we're at Cosida. You presented. I was actually at one of your presentations. So, um, with Coach Mulkey, it's a high-profile coach. Uh, do you mind going through and maybe letting the listeners know, or maybe giving them some advice or some tips on how to handle a high-profile coach with the media or just the the public in general, if the case that they ever get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing that I do is I over communicate. I am always prepared for um, possible things. I'm always ready to give her some notes um, going like when we're walking from the locker room to media. I'm like, hey, so-and-so did this in this game. So-and-so's here. They might ask you about this. Or, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of what you can do as an SID is just be prepared and be ready for anything that can come your way. And Honestly, as far as, like, working with her, like, with media, she's she's been doing it for so long. She doesn't need a lot of help, you know? Um, but I think the thing is, like, you always never, left, never leave anything unsaid. Say what you need to say. Um, and that is how you earn respect to people who have more years under their belts than you do, maybe. Um, I feel like I can tell her my opinion and she'll hear me and she'll respect me and I do the same for her it's not a two-way it has to be a two-way street um it can't be something where I'm hey I'm telling you this is what you're doing you know this is this is a relationship and I think as an SID you have this unique ability to you know embrace the team embrace the culture and really dive into it be a part of it you know have their back um, work to help them in ways that they um, need your help. And basically, um, if you understand their culture and you buy into their culture, um, they buy into you and they invest in you. And um, that's the biggest thing that I can offer, whether you're working with Coach Mulkey or you're working with anybody else. Um, if that coach knows that you have their back, you're on um, – the same plane and you understand their needs you know they trust you with a lot of things and that and that makes it easier when you say hey I know you feel this way but maybe this is a better way to handle it or this is 
this is my opinion and and then these are the reasons why and when you when you say the reasons why don't just go off your gut you know have some data to back it up have some real things to bring to the table and real ideas to bring to the table and and not in a way of I have to be right but just hey I'm gonna say this because I have to say this and I want you to hear it and they'll respect you and I think that's the biggest thing it's it's mutual respect and, and understanding each other uh, we kind of we'll kind of actually, actually have kind of a preview for next week but we kind of talked a little bit about um, uh, prepping your athletes for interviews, that sort of thing. But that's more or less with radio, and that's next week, and you guys will have to wait next week to hear that. But as far as kind of speaking with the media, I know we kind of mentioned Coach, Mul- Coach Mulkey, not Colch. I don't know why I said that. But um, <laughs> uh, so what's the biggest difficulty with, you know, kind of prepping your athletes for high-profile interviews when all eyes of the nation really are on top of you? I think the hardest thing is um – after a loss that nobody wants, you know, um, I think that the biggest issues that you probably have as an SID is when you have a loss that you, you know, is heartbreaking and you know, is real hard to swallow. You know, it's hard for you as an SID because you care about the kids, you care about the coaches and, and you want them, you know, like no one's happy unless they're raising a national championship trophy at the end of the year. Right. So in our shoes, it's, it's difficult, and uh, I think the, the biggest thing is you have a job to do, it's difficult, but, like, showing compassion through that and explaining to them, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, I meet with the team, and I say, hey, you know, like, this is not an easy time, and when it does happen, I need you to do your best to, to cooperate, because... You're either going to come to the press conference with me or someone's going to come into the locker room for a period of time and they'll be able to ask you anything you want. So they want to ask you. So a lot of what I do is I try to have them um, think about um, kind of like, I guess the best way I try to do it, I try to redirect. Um, I'm like, okay, in a job interview, if a difficult question is asked, like, how are you going to answer it? And think about it in that way. Uh, you have a lot of emotions, but try to put those to the side and, and talk to somebody like you would your mom or your dad, you know, or your grandparents, somebody that you care about, like somebody you can get your point across. And um, a lot of our players say, like, oh, I want to go play professionally. And I said, a a big part of being a professional is having the maturity to handle these situations. And I said, you're lucky because at Baylor, you have great media coverage. You have people that are very interested in you as individuals and you as um, a person on the court and off the court. So you can use those moments to kind of prepare you for being a professional when you face, you know, even more difficult times or you know in a job interview when you're asked a difficult question or at work when you're asked a difficult question uh being able to just hide in a corner doesn't help you grow as a person and and help you become more prepared for the real world uh we kind of talked a little bit off air about this and it's something that we've never talked about on this show before and i remember being at cosida when the mlb draft was going on and people were still literally sitting there at the panels and they had their laptops open 
uh, watching the draft, seeing if one of their players was about to get taken. So uh, how do you handle a draft like that uh, coming up from a program that's as prestigious as Baylor? Um, this is my first year actually getting to go to the WNBA draft in person. Uh, when I was at Iowa, Samantha the logic got drafted and was invited to, to be a part of the experience, but um, the coaching staff accompanied her there. And this year at Baylor, uh, we expected to have, you know, up to three players drafted. And Alexis Jones was actually invited, and I got to attend that to cover it socially and um, as an SID just to, like, give it as much love as possible. Um, so she got to be a part of all of those, all the TV parts and was the first round draft pick uh, to the Minnesota Lynx. So that was just a really an amazing experience. And what the WNBA has done in, in the last year to change up and really enhance their draft day experience made it really fun to cover from uh, my perspective. And for um, I think the fans enjoyed it more, too, because it gave you more of a glimpse of um, what was going on. It wasn't so much everybody just sitting around. Um, there were a lot of interviews. There was a lot of coverage, great representation from writers. And just being able to be around that and see it in person was really cool. And um, this year, also, Alexis Prince was drafted. Um, she wasn't at the actual uh event but she was she was able to celebrate that with her friends and family um so being able to cover those things is kind of like you know how much it means to the girls and and you do everything you can on the front end to prepare for all potential draft picks and um so socially i met with our creative team and really made sure that we had graphics ready to go made sure that we had you know, I had my release ready to go, and I could just plug everything in, get out, get it out as soon as possible, um, allowing um, Alexis Jones to take over our social media accounts and really be involved in the process was important for us too. Um, but just the draft is like, so exciting because I think that's like an ultimate dream, and it's so difficult uh, for women's basketball in general because there are so few teams and the roster sizes are so much smaller. And so when you do have players drafted, it's, it's so, it's so joyful. You know, you're just excited to be part of the process and excited to, to draw attention to the positive things that are happening to, to the Baylor graduates. Uh, two more questions and then we got to move on. Um, you kind of mentioned a little bit your creative team. So what is your relationship like with your creative team? I mean, how do you guys coordinate certain things? I mean, what can you just, detail that whole process for us? Yeah, a lot's changed actually at Baylor in the past few months. Um, we've hired a new creative uh, manager who is Andrew Lenz. He actually came from Indiana University where he worked with men's basketball. Uh, he helped to do a lot of their video uh, elements and has come over to Baylor and really done a lot to revamp our creative process. Um, so the way it stands now, we put requests in as SIDs with, um, and other groups too, like marketing would use this, and, and our Baylor Bear Foundation, which raises money for athletics. Any graphic or video needs kind of is funneled through one system, and that basically is headed up by Andrew. Um, so that kind of gets divvied out to our different uh, video 
staff members and our graphic design staff members, and then um, they turn out great products. And we've had kind of um, an initiative to create more brand synergy. If you look at our sports, we have a lot of different colors that we use, so we're changing a lot to mainstream our look to make it more uniform. And it's been really positive so far experience-wise. Um, we're able to do quite a bit more. Um, when we're in a jam, we have templates that we get from them. And um, I have Photoshop experience. So I'm able to edit things. I'm able to you know, come up with different concepts on the fly. Um, I'll help out women's basketball specifically with their recruiting graphics. And that's kind of a separate deal that I do for them. Um, just to help out and kind of supplement what they're trying to do recruiting-wise. And, and that kind of is, is separate from the creative process, but um, our team works really well together. And in addition to that, when, when we're doing the brainstorming, it's not just my brain, it's um, a few different brains together. Uh, we have external pods, which are actually, actually new also to Baylor this year under Mac Rhodes. Our new athletic director, um, to his credit, wants us all to be one big team. So um, the women's basketball team has a team. Um, everybody that is involved in women's basketball in some capacity, we meet every other week. We discuss things coming up. We brainstorm ideas, um, whether it be for you know creative or a live event um, edition or um, you know an awareness game or what are we doing for this how can we better communicate this to people um, so that's kind of all new stuff that we've been implementing in just the last six months and it's been a positive process and it's kind of taken a lot off SIDs because in, in the past it would be more of something that we would do the design work on or you know, we would um, head up a lot of that creative stuff. So now we get the benefit of having, you know, a couple extra eyeballs and things, and we get some good ideas and make them great because we're having a little bit more communication. Uh, let, yeah, last thing before we, we move on to some of the fun questions uh, that I have. Maybe one of them is not so fun, but... Um, during your panel at Coso, you kind of mentioned some uh, social media strategy things, and we kind of talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago at the beginning of the month um, with Katie Mucci. But just real quick, can you can you highlight some of your social media strategies that you do at Baylor? Okay, so I always try to have benchmarks. Um, I talked about this in my panel at Coso, and I'm a big believer in. Um, really connecting with each sports team and and letting them know that no matter what, you're going to have these benchmarks. So women's tennis is another one of my teams that I work with at Baylor. And I always make sure they have birthday graphics. I make sure they have game day graphics. I make sure they have post-game graphics. When they win awards, they're going to have graphics. Um, those are kind of my benchmarks. And then beyond that, I try to um, meet with the coaches like every year I meet with the coaches and I talk strategy. Okay, who are you trying to talk to on social media? Uh, for tennis, it's all recruits. They do not care as much about, um, like, connecting with, like, fans or certain age groups. Like, their, their target demographic is that recruitable age kids. So um, 
when they send some recruiting stuff out and they go to our social media account, they're seeing things like, oh, we just got Nike uniforms or we look at all the trophies that we've won. Um, so this year with tennis, we're trying to do some more Instagram behind-the-scenes benefits that our student-athletes have. Um, this year we're all Nike, so they're getting all new Nike uniforms and shoes, so we have planned um, some Nike reveals. Um, similar with women's basketball, Instagram is very much something that we want to tailor to like more recruitable-age kids. Um, you can look at the data on your social media accounts and find out real quick what demographic you're talking to. And so we quickly realized that, you know, Facebook is getting a ton of engagement because of the demographic of our fans. Um, and then Twitter is a little bit of everybody. But Instagram is that 18 to 24-year-old female audience that you're talking to. So, um, again, with them, we're trying to really tailor our content to them. And anything extra that we're doing, we invest in those types of things based on what the coaches and that specific program's needs are. Perfect. That all sounds pretty great. So um, I'd like to transition this part of the interview, Jill, to where I like to ask some fun questions. And the first one I have for you is a uh, favorite memory in your professional tenure. My favorite memory is pretty new, actually. Like, I got my first championship ring. I don't have it here, oh. but I've never had one in my whole life. And it is massive. I was just yeah. so happy. I, like, go home and I wear it, and I get crap for wearing it, but I just want to put it on. Like, if I have a late night of work, I'll just put it on and remind me why I'm doing it, you know? Uh -huh. So, um, never won a championship ring as an athlete or an SID, and so having that was, was a really cool, seeing them win the championship, celebrating on the floor, and then being rewarded it with a, with a ring was, was a pretty amazing experience all around. Uh, what about on the other side of the coin? Biggest horror story that you have? Um, the tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest horror story... Um... I don't know, I guess forgetting something that I needed for a game or forgetting something that I needed for somebody. I think like those are like the times I feel like, oh my gosh, I really screwed that up. Um, I've been fortunate to not have any really horrific things happen yet, and I hope to God they don't. Um, but yeah, I think, I think personally like the biggest thing is like, oh, I got to the arena and we ran out of paper in the middle of the game. I had to send a student back to our office to get paper because we had no paper for copies. So like that where I'm like, that was poor planning. I could have done better than that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession? Dress for the job that you want. Ask for more responsibility. And tell people you want to be an SID. I think the biggest thing that... Um, we look for in students is like, okay, is this just a job for you or is this something you want to make a career of? And um, sometimes 
it takes you saying, hey, I like this. I want to I do this. Um, and then we can kind of help open the doors. Uh, I think like a big thing for me is that I kind of fell into the profession and I didn't know a lot about it. And without people helping me, I didn't make it there. So a big part of what I feel like I'm called to do as an SID is to cultivate relationships with our students and um, try to be as involved as, you know, I can be. If they want this to be a profession in the future, then, you know, they can, I'll show them more. I'll show them, you know, stuff that I don't see, show someone who's just clocking in and out as, as a part-time. And there's nothing wrong with that because we have great students that do that as well. Um, but definitely don't be afraid to say this is my goal, this is what I want to do because there are people out there that want to see the profession continue to grow with um, young, successful young men and women and um, I guess like we're all willing to help. Uh, when you look around the your conference, division, country, what what have you, uh, and you look at somebody and you say that's a good SID, um, what are some things that they do, maybe some characteristics that they have that make you say that? I think just kindness and the ability to make you feel welcome. I like that's something I think I'm trying to do even better. I I had a wonderful experience at Tennessee going out there last year with women's basketball. Just how like gracious and nice and kind and helpful everyone was. And one of my goals is as being an SID is, is to not get too into the team aspect on a game day. You know, um, it doesn't matter if we're playing, you know, a top five team or we're playing, you know, a mid-major that's coming in our preseason. I want to make sure that they have a really positive experience. I want to make sure they feel welcome. I want to make sure that, you know, they have what they need to have a positive experience. And I think, um, that's something like when I went to Tennessee, uh, they delivered the notes to our hotel and they made it super easy for me to have everything I needed before I even walked in the arena. And then when I did walk in the arena, they came up, introduced themselves, they're so nice. And I think, and it, it was awful. Like I, I was just impressed because we, we beat them and it was their worst loss that they had ever had in that arena and they were still the nicest most kind people and so i think for us like as SIDs, it's always important to remember that we're like the front door to the university to a lot of people and how we act and how we treat people is important win or lose doesn't matter what level you're at um because it matters and it's it's important to value others in your profession and i think like that particular game really stood out to me they do a lot of great things there and I've tried to like mimic that and tried to make it a point to be better in those areas and do things that I wouldn't have even thought to do to make things easier when an SID is on the road and visiting uh what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession We've had graphic design, we've had, uh, what did he say yesterday? Oh, he said predicting the future, which doesn't make any sense, but don't tell him I said that. But well, that's what makes sense. <laughs> just, it's a range of different things. 
I think for me, the, the thing that I'm trying to work on the most, trying to get, the, get better at is how can I make what I'm doing more digestible for the media? You know, is there something that I can do to make it easier for them to have the information that they need to cover our team? Um, I'm always asking our radio crew for feedback on notes. Is this helpful? Is this type of information something that you would like me to include? And I try to involve our media members in that as well because at the end of the day, I can give you all the information in the world, but if it's not digestible to you, and I'm not saying I'm going to have four different versions of notes by any means, but how can I make my notes um, something that is easy for you to use on a regular basis and instead of maybe like calling me to ask me, you're like, oh, wait, I know where it is. It's in the notes. Or I can, you know what I mean, just trying to facilitate that in the best way possible. And I think that's that's one of the big things that I'm working on now. And I'm trying to learn more about like their side of things, what makes it easier for you, and how can I help with that. Uh, Work-life balance. What do you do to have fun? <laughs> During season? <laughs> uh, any type of season. Okay. Um, I think as SIDs, it's so important to just take some time to themselves and, and do their own thing. I'm into just, you know, going for walks around parks. Um I like to hike around. I love camping. I don't get to do it as much as I want to. Um, when I have time in the summer, I love going home. I will spend time with my family and my friends back in Fort Wayne. And my favorite times are spending spending it with them, I would say. Um, but on a, on a rainy night at home, you know, I like to have a glass of wine and watch trash TV, wind down, um, I like to hang out with friends and, and just, you know, kind of just take a breather. It's important to put your phone down, I think. <laughs> uh, next, and you can pick wherever you want and wherever you've been. It could be Fort Wayne, it can be Iowa City, it could be Waco, um, restaurant or bar recommendation. There are a lot of, like, good new places, but in Fort Wayne, Coney Island, it's, like, the classic. You have to go, but you have to go get a Coney dog with the onions, with the mustard, and chili. And sometimes I get two hot dogs and chili, and I regret it. And I also, you also have to get the, like, Coke in a bottle. That's, like, the must. Um, and that, that location has been open for as long as you can remember. Um, so that's a classic. Coney Island, you got to do that in Fort Wayne. It's right downtown. All right, in Iowa City, uh, Mexican food, you have to do El Bandito. Uh, they have an amazing jalapeno margarita that I'm in love with. Actually, it's habanero. Habanero margarita, that's amazing. They have a salsa sampler. So they'll give you like five homemade salsas and chips. And uh, the shrimp diablos to die for. I can't find any better than that anywhere else. Uh, also, their Atlas. you got to get the buffalo chicken burger. I mean, buffalo chicken burrito. Delicious. Um, 
And then in Waco, there's a couple of good spots that I, like, love to go to. Um, Homestead Heritage has the best breakfast ever. Um, it's, like, very farm-to-table, and they also have lunch and dinner and ice cream. It's all homemade, and it's, it's amazing. That's, like, to die for. Um, and then Moroso's is a new place that has wood-fired pizza and really, really good Italian food. I had a lobster ravioli there that was pretty amazing. So those are my two two favorite food stops. And since it's Texas, you got to give a barbecue shout-out. And the absolute best barbecue you can get in Waco is that guest family barbecue. But tip, you have to be there at 11 o'clock because at noon they're sold out of everything that you want to have. That's uh, quite the high demand. I would be mad. The best barbecue places, when they run out, they close their door. They don't. There's no extras. They make <laughs> it, and then it's gone, and you and you lose. So you you got to get there early. And when we go as a group, our office eats lunch together all the time. And when we go as a group, we decide early. We're like, okay, we're leaving at 11. We're, we're going to get there because we want the brisket. Or, you know, we want, you know, this this or that like we have to get there at a certain amount of time otherwise we're not going to get what we want uh if anybody had any questions maybe follow up with you after this interview what'd be the best way to get in contact with you yeah i mean message me on social if you want to email me it's j-i-l underscore price p-r-i-c-e at baylor.edu i'm pretty good at getting back to people but yeah, tweet at me. I love Twitter. Tweet me. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Jill, thank you for coming on. I really, really do appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, and thank you, everyone, who has already uh, downloaded, subscribed, uh, rated, and reviewed this podcast. If you haven't done that already, go ahead and do that. You can do that on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. Four places that I had struggled to remember during the closing and the intro of last episode with uh, Jim Napperstech. So now I do remember what actually my show is on now. So I'm pretty proud of that part. But um, it just takes a second to give a five or a one. All up to you. And you can follow us anytime on social media at Sports InfoCast on Facebook and Twitter. And guys, if you want to get the uh, latest on uh, any deal that we're having, um, any event that we're going on, and you can bet that in the next year we're going to be pretty busy. So um, you can... Uh, sign up to our newsletter. Uh, everybody on there already gets the episodes in the morning. Um, then they also get, they'll probably get some promo stuff before anybody else, before I even post it, sometimes six hours in advance, uh, depending on what time of day it is. So um, you can do that at sidcast.fireside.fm slash newsletter. Um, and yeah, next week we will have Donnie Smith of the Southeastern Fire, the NAIA SID of the year. After that, we have Lainey Wetzel from Tennessee Tech on the pod. So thank you everyone for listening, and we hope to catch you all in the next episode.